many are ready to hear some things about my dad. I'm going to give you the inside scoop. I'm going to tell you what he's really like. That's right. We're going to set it all straight today. (laughs) I wish, man. I had some, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm I'm, I'm privileged and, and honored to be able to speak about my dad. For those of you that don't know, I'm Pastor Billy Register, and my father's Pastor Bill back here. Um, I feel like sometimes because we have so many people that we do know that, that it's a good thing to introduce ourselves just to some that may not know who are here. But uh, I was asked to talk about a few things about uh, on Father's Day about what I learned from my father. And so I t- I'm going to touch on a few bullet points of some things that I've maybe talked about before. I realized during the preparation for this that I knew that I could speak about this topic in a series of messages. I think it would be pretty good, in fact, about what I've learned from my father, what I've learned from him as a father, as a pastor, as a man, as a person, the good, the bad, the, the ups, the downs. And there's been a lot of that in our lives and in our family. And that's okay. Each step of the way, God's been with us. He's been faithful. He's been good. He's been a good, good father. But the things that I would just want to touch on very quickly, just uh, in a a summary point, which I won't go into detail of, but there's just a few points that that I wanted to bring up about. Just these are things that I, you know, want to just quickly talk about. One of the big things that my father taught me, and and I'm going to just say this once so I don't have to go back and say it again. I can apply a lot of these things to my mother as well, as I have in the past, but today's Father's Day, Mom. (laughs) But here's the, probably the most important thing that my father taught me was he introduced me to the person of Jesus Christ. He didn't have a dad that did that for him. You may not know that, but I had a dad that did. And that's something I learned from him about Jesus. I learned about the importance of prayer. My dad, I saw him, or maybe I'd even say the words, I caught him praying many times. Many times when he didn't know that I did. When I was younger and and, and, uh, and different times when I was living in the household, I'd catch him praying in the morning, in the evenings. He taught me the importance of prayer. I could go on about that. He taught me the importance of God's Word. That God's Word is the truth. It's the anchor. It's the foundation to everything in our lives. He taught me that. And He taught me that and showed me that by me seeing Him on numerous occasions, or if you will, catching Him, reading the Word of God. He taught me to love your children. And I put that word in caps there for a reason. Always. There were some times, I know this is going to be hard for all of you guys to believe, but there were some times that I wasn't all that lovable as a son. (laughs) I did some things that would have tried the patience of Job. But my dad loved me always. There's never a time that I didn't know that he loved me. And there were some times even where I think he probably thought about, and, 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 and I don't blame him, about, Man, I, I gotta cut the cord here. I gotta part ways. I've had enough. He's put me through enough. So I know you guys thought I was just a perfect child, but the reality is I gotta tell you the truth today. But he didn't. He loved me always. He's and, and another thing that he taught me to do is support your children. And my dad was a pastor, uh, just as he is now. He's a pastor. When the pastors are in their lives, they're busy. They gotta deal with say that lovingly. There's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of hospital visits. A lot of going to people's homes to encourage them and pray for them and lift them up in times of need. There's times where, and I know this will be hard for you guys to believe too, but there are some people that are in the church that are difficult to deal with. Have you ever met any of them? Are you one of them? (laughs) I'm kidding. Not really. (laughs) But look, here's the thing. The church isn't any different than any other place. It's not any different than your workplace, than a family group. We 
have human beings that get together in any groups, big or small, and you're going to have issues. You're going to have people. We're all made differently, and that's okay. That's the way God created us. How we deal with all of that is a whole other thing. But as a pastor of a church, it's it, it's not a tw- it, it's not a uh, nine to five job. It's a twenty four seven job. I'm just telling you like it is. I saw it. I know it. I know what it is to live it. That's what we do. That's okay. That's great, in fact. But it's not without its challenges. And time is a big, precious thing to a pastor. He supported me because I don't ever recall any athletic event that I was involved in. And my mom helped out on this son. But most of the time, I remember if I'm going to practice, getting picked up from practice, whatever it was, and especially all of the games, my dad was the one that was supporting me doing that. I don't ever recall, there may have been one, I don't recall a game that I ever played, and I played a lot of athletic events, that I didn't see my dad over there on the sidelines. Every time. Now, at the time, I thought, well, that's just okay, that's what you're supposed to do. Until I learned that that's not what everybody's dads do. You know? And I learned that supporting your children, I could go on and on about a lot of other things. That's just an example I'll use. I mean, this was when, in my basketball career, there was a kind of a cycle. There was a time where I wasn't any good. I'll just say it, I stunk. Then something happened, and maybe I listened to my coaches or whatever, and I got better. And as I got to the end of my high school career, I became somewhat of a pretty good player. And, uh, you know, I just went and saw the other day, my mom had found these these clippings in a newspaper from back when I played high school. I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, I was pretty good. <laughs> I forgot how good I was, man. And so I was patting myself on the back. No, but, but he supported me in the times when I didn't get in the game as much. And he supported me in the times when I led a team to a great season. It didn't matter because he wasn't there for the observance of the athletic event. He was there to support me. I learned that from my father. Support the children. Here's the next one I learned. Discipline your children. Boy, did I learn it well. Discipline. I know that you guys, or anybody that's ever used this, I'm going to pop you one. But this whole idea of this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, I don't think so. But I will tell you this. My dad told the truth when he said that. You know how I know that? Because one time I saw him, I caught him again. And I, I say this because it just showed me as I, as I learned and I grew. I saw my dad crying one time after he had to discipline me. And I mean, when he disciplined me, I'm talking about, there's a lot of disciplines. There was privileges taken away. There was restrictions. There's grounding. And then there was butt whoopings. Am I allowed to say that in church? I could say it a lot more artfully, I'll tell you, but I don't remember it that way. I remember it as a butt whooping. But you know what? It was a good thing. And it did hurt him more than it hurt me. It wasn't about pain, it was about the, the action of it. Honestly, to tell you the truth, I feel like most of the time it was the anticipation of waiting for him to get home. That was more of the punishment than anything to do with the rest of it. That's what my mom always said. Your dad's going to be home. He'll deal with it when he gets here. And I'm like, oh, no. But he did it because he loved me. Just like our Father God disciplines us. There's scripture about this I won't go into now. He disciplines us because he loves us. I learned that. Discipline your children and lead your family. Lead by example. Do all the little things. Pray before your meals. Take your family to church. Have them get involved in a youth group. Do it. It doesn't matter if you think they like it or not. (laughs) I didn't like going to church most of the time. I'm going to just tell you. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revivals, meetings. Anytime there's a meeting after church, like we got this little meeting after church today, guess who had to stay and wait? When he wanted to get home and watch something on TV, watch a sporting event or whatever, no, I was there. My feet were stuck in the mud of whatever church that we were at, man, because I couldn't go anywhere until that was done. 
But you know what? I took his hand into church, led by example. Fathers and mothers, too, I'll say, but fathers, do not ever be, this is not, I don't have anybody in mind, I'm not trying to criticize anybody, I'm saying this because I believe this is true. Do not be derelict in taking your family into the house of God. Don't do it. There's too many benefits and too many risks otherwise. Don't do it. My encouragement to you is that. So, so uh, I'm a preacher's kid, if you don't know by now. You know what they call preacher's kids? PKs. How many PKs I got in the house? I know a few. Right, right, right. Good, good, good. Oh, I see you over there. There's one. I got a handful. So you guys know what it's like, right? All the jokes, all the ribbing, all the, you know, okay. I put up with all that. But, you know, PK's had a, a somewhat of a brotherhood and a sisterhood amongst us. You know, we sort of knew what we what the other ones had been going through in a way. It was unspoken in many ways, but, but, we, but we understood that. And I got around a lot of friends of mine because of places we went, conferences and all different kinds of things, that, uh, that you know, we, we talked to each other. And I found out that most of the PKs that I hung around with at these things, and even if that was locally when we'd go to, you know, national uh, events and that kind of thing, I found out that most PKs didn't have very much stuff. We didn't have very much stuff. We were poor. We were preacher poor. And I'm going to tell you, back then, I think preachers were poorer now than they are today. <laughs> And I don't mean that like anybody's taking advantage of things, although some do. This one doesn't. But, I mean, we just didn't have much. So I'm not going to say poor because we weren't living, you know, below the poverty line or anything like that. I'm going to say that we didn't have much, and neither did my friends. And we tell stories about it, man. I remember this one kid telling me, man, you know, when my sister broke her arm, we were so poor, we had to go to the airport to get an x-ray. I was like, hey, I'm like, you're poor. <laughs> you're poor. I ain't that poor. I'm poor, but not that poor. One of my preacher's kids, uh, friends said, you know, after church, we're so poor, we got to go to my rich uncle's house at the poorhouse. That's where our rich uncle lives, in the poorhouse. <laughs> oh, and I know you probably heard this before. Preachers' kids are so poor, we had to go to KFC to lick other people's fingers. Now, I'm just going to tell y'all, that ain't right. There's something about that that just ain't right. But that's called being a PK. We didn't have that. Now, I say that to say this. My dad knew how to stretch a dollar. Now, some people might say, that means he's cheap. I'm not saying that. And in fact, I'm really not saying that. My dad was never cheap. He wasn't a cheapskate. But boy, and Lisa, tell me if I'm wrong. My sister Lisa, give her a round of applause. I wanted to just, I wanted to put you on the spot. Had a chance. Had my chance. Lisa, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it not true that my that our dad knew how to stretch a dollar? And it was a good thing because we needed to because we were living on a pastor salary, five kids. So, so he knew how to stretch a dollar, and he did it. The right way, now I will say this too. I don't ever feel like as I look back on my childhood that I ever wanted for anything. Now, there were some things I wanted that I didn't get, but I didn't want for anything. And he made that. I don't know how he, we've talked about this, but how in the world he did that. And I said, I, said, I can't believe you said that. Here's my next story. Our lives, because of that, were, we had to make choices. He had to make choices. Stretch a dollar. So we would go through drive throughs How many go through drive throughs on Sunday after church or any other time? We go through drive throughs You get meals because we need something quick. And in those days, it's Sunday night service, man, so we can't, you know. So we went went to a drive through And not normally now when you go to a drive through somebody says, okay, what do you want? I didn't ever hear that question. Not what do you want. Here's what you're going to get. And you're going to like it. So on the occasions when we did get a chance to say something, like, well, you know, okay, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll have the cheeseburger. And, and let me get a large Coke with that. 
Oh, no, we ain't getting no drink. We got drinks at home. If I heard that once, I heard it a thousand times. We never bought a drink at a drive-thru in the whole history of our family. We got drinks at home. I'll never remember getting a drink at a drive-thru. But I'll tell you this. He knew how to stretch a dollar. He knew how to support a family. He did all the other things I'm telling you. But this is the word I want to impress upon you today, what I learned from my father. In spite of not having the most available resources or financial resources, he taught me this, generosity. Because even though we didn't have much, he still practiced what he preached. He tithed. He gave. I can't tell you how many times that I've had people come up to me and say, your dad, you probably wouldn't ever know this because your dad would never tell you. That's true. That's the humility of it. He has been so generous to us. He has been so giving to us. I think there's a lot of missionaries out of this fellowship that say the same thing. Not just about him, about this church, of course, but he's leading this church. He's making those decisions. The generosity is not just about money. That's the first thing when you hear the word generosity. What do you think? Money. Because that's what we want. We protect money. That's why the scripture says it's the love of money. That's the root of evil. Not money itself. It's the loving of it, the protecting of it, the not wanting to part ways with it. And I'm not here trying to take an offering today. I'm just telling you, you want to know things that I learned from my father? Generosity is one of them. That's my time. So like every preacher, I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> I'm going to finish this. Seriously, generosity is not just about money. Generosity is time. He was generous with his time to me when he took me to those athletics events. He was generous with his time when he came to visit you in the hospital. He was generous with his time when he took that late-night phone call to pray with you and encourage you about whatever challenge you were facing in your life. That's what I learned from my father. Generosity of not only money, but time. And he was generous with his money, too, the little bit that he had. Here's another thing my father has taught me. He is generous with prayer. Yes, he is. For those of you who know him, know that to be fact. He is generous with the time in his prayer life. Well, I'll never be lost on me. I only hope to scratch the surface of being as generous with my time. And I'm working on it every single day. And I'll get there. But I've got a big standard because generosity that he taught me is not just limited to money, not just limited to time, but it was prayer. And let me just say this as I close out here. I want to tell you about everything that I'm talking about today, all of those points before, but this main thing is generosity. I want you to understand this. The scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Paul's talking uh, to the church at Corinth about the Macedonians coming in, there's a, a plan for, uh, they, they were going to have gifts or, or blessings that were going to be bestowed upon them. And he was sort of setting everything up that, that hey, you guys are going to do good. In fact, he said he sort of, he was, he was proud of the fact, he was boasting about this was going to happen. And he, and he wanted them to make sure that, I guess in a way, not to let him down, so he's sort of reminding them and encouraging them. And as he goes to that first part of chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians, he gets to chap, uh, verse 6, and he writes this, The point is this, for all that I just said, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. When you hear that verse, what's the first thing you think about? Say it. Money! It's not just money, guys. It is money, but it's not just that. You want to have people invest time in you and lift you up? Invest time in them. Be generous with your time. You want to have people pray for you and stand in the gap and pray you through certain circumstances? Be generous with your prayer. That's what my father taught me. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God wills a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all 
say all grace. All grace abound to you so that having all sufficiently in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You see, the generosity that my father taught me of his time, of his money, of his energy, of his prayers, that came back into his life and has, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, is this not true? That in those times that God has been able to make all grace abound to you, that you have sufficiently in all things at all times, no matter the highs and lows, no matter how big it was and how small it was, how rich it was or how poor it was, that grace abounds to you in all things at all times so that you could abound in every good work. Hallelujah! That's powerful right there, folks. It's not just about money. It is about money, but it's not just about money. That's what my father taught me. So, I want to tell you this. It's never too late. It's never too late, no matter who you are. Man, woman, boy, child, old, young, doesn't matter who you are today. If you're hearing this, it's not too late. It's not too late to do all of those things I said to your children. Teach them about Jesus. Leave all of the other things I mentioned. And it's not too late to live generously. It's not too late to live generously. Boy, that's good preaching right there. I need somebody to say amen. Not for what I'm saying, but I'm telling you, that's the thing. Live generously. It's not too late. Live generously with your time. Live generously with your love. Live generously with your compassion and your and your service. Live, 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 live generously with, with your passion, just your passion about life. Be generous with your willingness. Be generous, yes, also with your money. But live generously in all things. Live generously. And grace will abound to you that will be sufficient for anything, no matter what it is, the grace in the amount that you need, when you need it, in your life. Praise God. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. picture up there, so I hadn't seen it. Well, I heard quite a few of you were disappointed that the preacher didn't preach long enough last Sunday. So we decided between the two hours we could surely make it up for you. Give me a few extra minutes this morning. And I will say to you, first of all, that the Bible, it, this must be true, because the Bible says it is. Children are a gift from God. I know you haven't always believed it, especially those of you who have children. Nevertheless, it is true. And without being humorous at all, it honestly, truly is a fact. Children are a gift from God. A challenge, an opportunity, a privilege. And we should all see it as that way. And not only that, children should see it that way as well. Those of you here who need to hear this, let me give you these verses from first from uh, Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Uh, the second verse, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise among the Ten Commandments. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So there's a message in the scriptures for parents, for fathers and mothers, and for children, sons and daughters. We're supposed to talk today about things that I learned from my father, which Pastor Billy has just shared with you, and that I am supposed to talk about things I learned from my children. I have a little disadvantage because I have three of them and he only has one. 
this event in time I'm thinking about, not, not any other way. So it's a wonderful thing for God to give you the privilege to mold another life, to teach and to train, to share how to grow into a good person by the grace of God, first of all, but then to learn the things that you need to do to be a good person, a good relative, a good neighbor, a good friend, a supporter of others. And Carolyn and I have tried to teach our children that. And we've had uh, a lot of opportunities along the way. Stumbled a lot of times. Made a lot of mistakes. The one thing that you never, if you're a young married person, when you get married and have your first child, you don't know anything about being a parent. You don't know anything about it. You're like a babe in the woods. You're lost. I say that because I was. I wasn't prepared to be a father. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared to be a pastor as far as that's concerned. I was pastoring churches, but I wasn't prepared to be a pastor. I had to learn a lot of things to grow into be the, the person that I've become. I hope I've become a much better person than I was when I was younger than I am now. And I believe I have in most ways. So, so we were blessed with three wonderful children. And we were blessed with three problematic children. We only have three. I'm talking about the same three. <laughs> but it's been a journey. It's been it's been a, it's been a great experience. You know, I, I, I had this week. I thought about all kinds of things. So many many things. I don't have time to share with you. I can't share with you. So I've picked out a few things to tell you about. First, let me talk about my uh, oldest offspring. You just heard him talk about me. Let me tell you just a little bit about him. All of, all of my children have taught me so much. You know, one thing I still call them children like I am right now. I know they're all adults, but they're still my children. So all of them have taught me so very much. In the earliest days, when Billy was just a little boy, he maybe was about three years old at this time. We were uh, doing some remodeling in the a home that the church had built and uh, the church had, had bought, and we were kind of rebuilding it. And one of our men came over to the church, uh, to the house frequently to work on it and do the things we wanted to get done. His name was Tom Slider. Wonderful man, like so many of you here. A man willing to give his time, give his effort, to give his work, to, to, to help the church and to help the work of God. And Tom was such a, uh, got such a great blessing being in our church. He and his wife, Delma, were just precious people to us. And Tom was over frequently working in the house. And every now and then, Tom would make some comment. And Bill would say, shut up, Tom. And he'd be walking around doing something else, and he'd say, Hey, Pastor, did you notice? Billy said, Shut up, Tom. And I got on him, boy, I tanned his hide. I said, You you can't talk like that to somebody's coming over here and doing all this for Well, he didn't understand what was going on. He just thought, he just samely thought to say. And after a few times of that, I went to Tom and I said, I, I just don't know how to apologize. I said, I'm really so sorry. He's just a child. He doesn't understand. Somewhere or he's got it. And so, one day, we were, Tom wasn't there. We were at the family doing something. Lisa and Kim weren't born yet. And so, uh, something happened, and I said, Billy, shut up. And it was like a flash of lightning hit me. Children will say what they hear you say. They'll do what they see you do. And I went to Tom and told him. I said, what Billy is saying is not his fault, it's my fault. But he heard you. We're talking about things that my children taught me. <laughs> and they taught me that they will say things I say. They'll think some of the ways that I think. They'll do some things that I do because they think if I do them, they're right. It's okay. They'll model that behavior. So sometimes when your children are so such that you want to get them by the scruff of the neck, stop and think, why did they do what you are getting ready to kick them in the rear for? 
you needed the first kick. <laughs> later on, later on in life, we had moved from uh, North Carolina to Jacksonville. One of the greatest things that, that, that God put me in in my life, he put me in a great church on the north side of Jacksonville. Church with a lot of problems that were there when I got there. Some of them were clear when I left, but I don't know if all of them were. But it was, a, it was a great challenge. It was a great opportunity. It was a blessing from God. God really opened the door. I'd love to tell you something how God put us there in that place. You know the miracle of how God put us right here and how the miracle of God brought me to Orange Park to start with. I told you that numbers of times. And I got to Calvary Temple at Jacksonville in the same way. God put me there in the same miraculous way. So we were getting settled in and enjoying it. We, the church owned a home, and we moved into that home. It was a very nice home in a very nice section of town over on the north side on Bell Shore Circle. Right, it was a, run right down by the Trout River. And uh, so Billy, by this time, was, uh, how, how old were you when we moved to Jacksonville? 11 or 12? Somewhere like about that, yeah, about 10 or 11 years old. And, uh, and uh, so he played around the neighborhood and uh, played at the neighbor's house right across the street. And one of our deacon's kids really got attached to Billy, liked him, and came over, didn't live too far away, and played with him and just had a, had a great time together. And uh, one day, I'm at home. The lady's waiting across the lid, who lives across the street, waiting to see me come home. So she came up to the door, rang the doorbell. I came to the door, and she said, I understand you're a preacher, a pastor. I said, yes, I am. She said, well, I would like to see your son and speak to him. I said, well, okay, let me just check and find him here. So I called him, and she said, well, just before you call him, let me tell you why I want to speak to him. She said, I want to tell you, he has been the most insulting child that, that I've ever had the non-pleasure of being in contact with. I mean, I asked him to leave my yard, and he just told me why he wanted to leave and to mind my own business and who I was. And I said, well, that doesn't sound like my son. She said, well, it was. I asked him. He, he confessed. He said he's the pastor's son lives across the street. So he said, that's, she said, that's him. I said, well, I'm, hard, I'm sorry, ma'am. Let me go get him. Boy, and I turned around. I didn't let her see it, but I turned around. And I, I was in a fix. I mean, I did not like what I had heard at all. Wait till I get this woman out of the way and get hold of this boy. I mean, my mind was made up. What have I got to deal with here? So I found him and called him. He came up to the door, walked up to the door, and I said, I forgot her name. I said, ma'am, this is my son. She said, no, he's not. I said, yes, uh, he is. He's my son. She said, no, 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 he, that's, not, that's not Billy Register. I said, well, I know it is. I'll bring my wife up here to prove it if you want me to. Yes, that's, that, he, that's who he is, ma'am. She said, well, that's not the one that told me he was Billy Register. She said, that's not the boy I'm talking about. Oh, man, do talk about relief. She said, there was another, somebody else over there playing with him. Well, he was the one that was playing with him. And the other boy, the deacon's son, said that he was the pastor's son when he was the one who was doing it all. Now, he hasn't always come out that innocent and everything, but that time he was totally innocent. And so, you know, sometimes when your children seem to be at their worst, it may really be that they're being at their best. You just really have to give every single individual, including your own children, an opportunity. And don't prejudge them. Don't make up your mind about them ahead of time. Give them an opportunity. And, and, and I, I learned from that experience, well, I learned from that experience. I, I, there's so much I can say I learned from that. You know, I learned to listen to my children. I learned to pay attention to them. I learned to, I learned to respond to them. I learned to believe them. One of my, I won't name this one. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But one of them said to me one time when I was questioning a lot of things, a lot of questions, a lot of judgments. That child said to me, Dad, you've always trusted my judgment. Trust me again now. 
And from what I had learned in the past, over a period of years, I did. So let me, let me, let me go on to tell you how that experience with Billy really taught me to, to believe, to believe my children, to give them every opportunity to, 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 to accept them. Let me, let me quickly tell you, and I, I need to move through this. Uh, my second oldest child is Kimberly. Now, Kim is an unusual individual. Uh, each person, every person has his own personality. Uh, they cultivate their own ways. They cultivate their own. Everybody's an individual. They develop their own life. So, so, so my Kim is uh, uh, an individualist. When she was 10 years old, we had her celebrate her birthday, and we took her down to Marineland. At, at that time, we were living in Jacksonville. Oh, I guess we were. We took her somewhere when she was 10 years old. And, uh, yes, to Marineland. So we went down south, drove down south from Jacksonville down to Marineland. I don't think it's there anymore, at least not like it was then. It's a big attraction at that time. So we went, uh, went up to the booth, to the ticket booth, and Kim's right there beside me. And I'm getting ready to buy tickets. And the lady says, how many tickets do you need? She said, uh, under, 10 and, uh, under, under 10 are $5, let's say. Over 10, everybody adults and over 10 are $10. So I said, all right, well, I've got, uh, I've got two under 10. Villa would have been older. And two more, four and one and two that are under 10. So, so Kim is pulling on my coat. She's standing beside me. She's pulling on my coat. And I turn around. And I finally, I say, well, what is it? I'm, let me finish this note. No, she's like, let me. Oh, I, Dad, I need to tell you something. She said, Dad, I'm 10. I'm 10. <laughs> so I turn back and look in the ticket booth. And I saw it. It looked like I was a bank robber when I looked at that way. Trying to steal $5. And my child told on me. Well, the truth is she had just had her birthday, and I was so accustomed to saying, I hadn't got accustomed yet to saying she was 10. She made sure I knew. She was proud of it. <laughs> she wasn't intending, and it wasn't any harm. It was totally harmless. But it did tell me to be careful. I just say exercise care and be thoughtful. Taught me so much I've never forgotten. I want to tell you more about more about Kim. This is this is the more important thing. When Kim graduated from high school, did you all go on to start college in the same first year? Did she was there one year ahead of you? She had a reputation before you got there. Isn't that the way it was? <laughs> she, Kim started the school, and she did everything you're supposed to do at school, except go to class and study. She went to all the parties, all the events. She was at Southeastern University in Lakeland. Oh, she did everything you're supposed to do except go to school. But by the time Lisa got there, they didn't want her back, and they didn't want them to stay for the second year. I'm telling you the truth now. And this is not this is not something I'm I'm going to tell you why I'm happy about it. If that were really bad, I probably wouldn't be telling you. But so so then they come home, and Lisa goes on to school somewhere else. Did you go to University of South Florida after that? She went to University of South Florida. Got her degree, graduated, got her, got her bachelor's degree, and then went on to graduate school. Well, Kim went to somewhere we moved along about that time we moved back to North Carolina. And she started going to school up there. Uh, I don't know how she got in with all the grades she had at Southeastern, but she started going to school up there. She went to a school, and I thought, well, she had enrolled in this community school. And she was going, getting up, leaving for school every day. And I found out at the end of the year... She didn't have any passing grades because she hadn't done any schoolwork. And then I found out she wasn't even going to school. She's going off meeting her friends, hanging out for a day, and when school was out, she'd come home. So I said, I, you know, how you get irate at something like that? I just challenged her about it. More than challenged her, I insisted. And so then she said, <laughs> and so then she said, well, I'm going to go to a different school. And she went to a different school. At least she signed up to go to a different school. And she didn't go. I thought she was going. Finally, when everything all came out, she'd been to about 
three or four different schools, enrolled in all of them, and been told not to come back. Every one of them told her not to come back. So she was living at home. We were living there near Winston-Salem, North Carolina. She was living at home, and she got a job in a doctor's office. And uh, I said, you can live at home, but you'll pay rent. You're not going to go to school. This is what it's going to be. I gave her the law, and she kept it. She did it. And, uh, and then finally, Lisa, Lisa graduated from uh, uh, college at all this time. Now she now graduated from college. She's going on to get a master's degree, which she did get at the University of North Carolina in Greensboro. And, uh, and so Kim is working at doc- Nothing wrong with working in a doctor's office right now. She was supposed to have gone to school and got an education. And Kim and Billy have always said that Kim is the smartest one of the three of them. They both said that. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not putting words in your mouth. I think you all have. Both of you said that. She is a, she's a brilliant person. She just didn't adapt, didn't adapt very well to school. <laughs> and so a lot of people like that, I think. But So Lisa was getting her master's degree, and Kim hadn't even got a credit in the college yet. She had a record at all these colleges, but she didn't have any credits. So she came to me one day and she said, Dad, I have to quit my job because I'm going to go back to school. I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure you are. Keep paying rent, girl. She said, no, no, I really, I really have made up my mind. I'm really, I'm going to go. I said, I don't know if you can get into school. You got five colleges that said you came and didn't do anything. She said, I'm going to try. So she went around and she tried. And, and there's great universities and schools in, near, in and near Winston-Salem. Wake Forest University, Winston-Salem State, uh, over in Greensboro, University of Greensboro, uh, Guilford College, um, um, the girls' school, Bennett, I think she talked and High Point University, all right there in the same little neighborhood. Right. She couldn't get in any of them. So finally she went to Forsyth Tech. That was a little technical school named after the county, Forsyth Tech. She went there for about a year, and because she did apply herself, she made perfect grades. Went part of the second year, and then she had enough credits, she thought she'd try to find someplace else to go. But if she would try to find someplace else to go, nobody would still have her. I'm trying to rush this up a little bit. Nobody would have her. Finally, she decided... I am going to go and ask to be admitted to the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. I said, go ahead. What have you got to lose? So she went over and she talked to the head of the English department at UNCG. And the person looked at her records and said, why aren't you going through the normal routine? Then she looked, why aren't you applying in the normal routine? You're coming to me. She looked, and she looked at her score. Oh, she said, I see why you're not going through the normal the head of that department, Kim convinced her to believe in her. She said, if you will allow me and get me admitted and allow me to come here, I will be honor roll student all the way through. I will never miss it. And when I do, you can tell me to leave. And she made the person, head of that department, believe her. And so the teacher, the professor, got her admitted, got her into the department, and she did just what she told her she would do. She made honor roll every, the whole time that she was there. When she graduated, was doing a teaching internship. The high school that she was interning in made all kinds of exceptions and offers to her to try to get her to stay there. And she was going to stay there to teach in that high school. But along the way, there came an opportunity through the head of this department. The head of this department was to recommend people to Wake Forest University to go on into a graduate school. And this head of the department called Kim in. She was an intern by now, not in the school very much. Unlike the other reasons she wasn't in school very much, <laughs> she was interning in the high school. So she came and talked to the head of the department. She said, I have this opportunity for certain people that I'm to choose. And if you're willing to dedicate yourself for the next two years, I want to put you in this program, but it's up to you. You'll get a free ride on everything at Wake Forest University, but you'll have to do the work. Kim said, you know I can do the work. Let me think about it. She came back to her, asked me about it. I advised her to do it. She went back and talked to the professor, and she said, I want to do that. They got her in the program. She went to Wake Forest University for two years and earned her master's degree. Then she came back and became the head of the guidance department at Providence School over on Hodges Boulevard in Jacksonville. There for, for after her son was born, and she started back to work. She was there then for several years, and during that time, she went to the University of North Florida and earned another master's degree. <laughs> I think about that. That was the one child I was ready to give up on. 
at that time. Now, later on, Billy brought me into that same place, but you've, <laughs> you've already heard that story. I, I counsel you to go hear it again as it's all recorded on our website to hear his testimony because it's a wonderful testimony of the grace and the power of God, the deliver power, delivering power of God. But, but my, so my daughter Kim got both of us whipped on the, the, the and, 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 and today she is in that, doing that same work that she did at Providence all those years, getting kids prepared to go to college and getting them into college. But she's doing it at a Jewish private school in Maryland. Most of the faculty are Gentiles. All of the students are Jews. You don't have to be Jewish to go there, but you have to speak Hebrew. So that kind of makes it all a lot of Jewish. But she's, had, but she's respected and honored and loved at that school. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, I would not tell you this about one of my children if I couldn't give you a positive result on it. She has told this numbers of times to high school classes, to gatherings. And she's told her story somewhat as I've told it here today, with more detail, I'm sure. She's told it numbers of times and always challenged kids to say, you can do better. You're not a failure. No matter where you are, you can pick yourself up and move on. I'm an example of that. And that's why she taught me. It's one of the reasons I know this. I, I know by the grace of God that this is true for everybody anyway. But I know by my own personal experience with my middle child, with my daughter. I know you can be what everybody would consider to be a failure and ready to give up on you and throw in the towel and say it's not worth bothering with you anymore and still turn out to be a winner, a victor, a champion, an overcomer. And the grace of God can do that for you. Praise God. Praise God. Now let me tell you one more thing, because Lisa is here, and I have to tell something about her, otherwise she won't go to dinner with me. <laughs> let me tell you just a little bit about Lisa. She lives here in Southern Valley. has a wonderful uh, children's school over here. So when, so when Lisa was a, a, a child, she maybe was about seven or eight years old at this time. Now you've heard me tell this before, but it's important to tell it again. Because it's an application for every single one of us. So she was, uh, we were sitting at our dinner table. In those days, all five of us came and sat around the table for dinner. Carolyn cooked it. Yes, she did. She cooked it. And, and she's a wonderful cook, by the way. You, 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 you may not know that she really is a wonderful cook. So we're sitting at the table eating, and Lisa has a glass of milk, and we all have our drink, whatever it is. They didn't come from Burger King or McDonald's, because I wouldn't let them do that if you just heard about that a while ago. But we all had our meal and our glass. So while we're eating, Lisa turns over her big glass of milk, fell all over the table. And I hit the seat. Inexcusable. What are you thinking? I, I, I did explain this a little bit because I know none of you have ever done this. So, why, what in the world is wrong with you? We cleaned it up. She sat there didn't say much. We cleaned it up, got the table all ready, and started eating again. About two or three minutes later, I tipped my glass of tea, and the whole thing's ice and all spread all over the table. And you know what I said? Nothing. <laughs> Kept my mouth shut for a change. Nothing. And after a while, I think I said, I'm sorry. What I learned from this is sometimes your children need to apologize to you. But don't ever think there aren't times that you don't need to apologize to them. They may be the ones who are right this time. And I'll guarantee you, everybody, everything doesn't have to have blame attached to somebody. You need, we, all of us need to learn this. Just because something happens doesn't mean that somebody is to blame for it. Families will be better to know this. Businesses will be better to know this. Churches will be better to know this. So everything that happens doesn't have to have somebody to blame for it. Just because somebody comes around here, walks down and stumbles as they're walking across here, and there's a peanut down there, you don't have to blame the people who cleaned up the church for missing a peanut. Everything doesn't have to have somebody to blame. Learn that lesson 
and you'll learn something to be worthwhile to you for the rest of your life. I identify everything I'm dealing with now. Over the years of life, I've come to this. Everything, everything that comes up is, first of all, if, it, if it's a negative thing, first of all, it's just an inconvenience. Second, it's an issue. And then, only then, after it passes being an inconvenience and an issue, it's got to be big enough and a lot bigger than most things are to become a problem. Oh, I've got a problem. No, you may just have an inconvenience. I've got a problem. No, you may just have a little issue. When it becomes a problem, then it's really, really com- difficult and, 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 and conflict. But we need to learn that. We need to learn that everywhere. We need to learn that in our church. We need to learn that as we as we grow and develop and move forward and become the people that God wants us to be and develop the character that God wants us to have. That's one thing we really, really need to know. So, so I, you know, there, there are certainly, obviously, many, many more things I could tell you. I, I, I try to keep this uh, knowing that my, I'm way past the time we usually finish. But again, remember, we're making up for last week. So... Let, let me tell you this for sure. There's a, there, none of us is wise enough to know everything. None of us is wise enough to make all the right decisions. None, none of us is smart enough, experienced enough, righteous enough to, 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 to do all things right. We don't, we don't know enough about ourselves, about our families, about our children, about our parents. We don't know enough to be generous and gracious and kind and loving as we should be at all times and all ways to everyone. But if we'll follow the pattern of the Scripture, we will know it. You see, this is what, this is what Paul wrote to the Colossians. He said, this is Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He said, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Encouraged in heart. Know the difference from what a problem is and what's just an inconvenience. Be encouraged at heart that good things are coming. And united in love. Wow. We unite in love, we'll take the world. I believe it. And then he goes on to say, "All of, do this so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, that is Christ that you may have full riches of complete understanding. Well, I want to get there. Not quite yet there. Not quite yet there. But I want to get to the place that I have the full riches of complete understanding in Christ. And when I have that in Christ, then I have it in totality because he said, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when you have the treasures of wisdom and knowledge because Christ is in your life and you're walking with Him and learning from Him, then you have the blessings that make your life the positive, productive, good life that you want it to be. It will help you make right decisions in all things. It will cause you to take the right direction on every course it will cause you to do the right to, 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 to do the right action in every situation because that's what Christ does for us in our lives and that's what he intends to do for us in our lives. So everybody stand with me, please, right now. And every father, if you will, please, come and gather here around the altar with me. I want to say a prayer and a blessing over you.